Welcome again to Calvary. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 26 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Greg and Calvin will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us this morning. Matthew 9 verses 18 through 26, actually. All right, you guys got there quick. Starting in verse 18, we read, While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went out into all that land. The title of my message this morning is, What's Your Story? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning to have your word that we can hold in our hands, knowing that you want to speak to each one of our hearts. You have a message for us today, something that we need to hear, that you you divinely brought us here this morning to hear from you. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your care in our lives. We pray, Lord, as your church, we would have open ears to receive all that you have for us. Father, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their life to you. They're not born again. They, they don't know what it means to have their sin forgiven. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today that they would see their need for you and come to you today and be born again today. So thank you for our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stories. We all have our life's story. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, I think it's about two weeks ago, my, my wife and my daughters let me know this. At the beginning of November, they already started with the uh, Christmas Hallmark stories. You know, the, the movies that play before Christmas that are as cheesy as cheese can be. Now, my wife and my daughters, they love them. But please, I beg you, if you are a guy and you like these films, Why? Stop, okay? Just, just stop, okay? Because you look at these things, uh, you know, and, and they're all exactly the same. But now, if you're a, the Hallmark lover, I'm sure some of you ladies are out there, you know, there, it's, now you can catch them on Netflix. And they have 20 new episodes, 20 new storylines. There are no 20 new storylines, let me tell you. That's what they say they have, but the storylines are all exactly the same. Let me give you a clue. Five things that they all have in common. The constant background music. Okay? It literally never stops. You know, this thing going on. And then the dialogue. You know, how many times can someone fake laugh at jokes that aren't funny? You guys experience that all the time, but anyway. (laughs) The cliche storylines. Two options. 
one boy and girl hate each other, but eventually realize their love for each other and they come together. Number two, girl is engaged, otherwise taken, meets new man that is so much better than the other one, falls in love with guy number two. And there's always a snowstorm that's preventing them from getting together until the very, very end. (laughs) Number four, the acting. I have a theory. The scripts are so bad that the actors literally cannot fake it. They've given up on having an acting career altogether, and they just, just, just read their lines because that's all they could do. Finally, number five, the facial expressions. Everyone smiles way too much. You know, like, life is swell all the time. No, Becky, it's not. Um, everything's not sunshine and rainbows except in Hallmark land. But again, they have 20 new stories out, and so, uh, you know, you guys that like it, you can enjoy yourselves now. But in real life, we all have a story. Our lives are a story. Life stories, how you encountered Jesus for the first time, how you came to know Him as your Lord and as your Savior. And then as your life, as you grow in Him, the good times and the struggles that we all face in our life, God builds this picture of our life. And he makes us who we are. It's our story and our relationship with him. Well, here before us this morning, we have two powerful stories interwoven. Now, these stories, they're also found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, and Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. And we're going to be referring back and forth from both places, all three places, as we go along, as we dig into this. But we know from Mark's Gospel that this ruler came to worship Jesus. He was a man by the name of Jairus, and he was really a very important synagogue officer. His story was that he has a daughter that was on the verge of dying, ready to die. The other story is about this unnamed woman who had an issue of blood and she's hemorrhaging and and, and was finding that her life was slowly being taken from her from this disease. Now there's an interesting contrast between these two individuals. Jairus was an important synagogue officer. The woman was an anonymous nobody. Jairus had prestige and, and, and importance and and, and this woman had nothing. Jairus came pleading for his daughter. The woman came uh, with a need of her own. Jairus, for 12 years, had brought his, his daughter had brought him great joy. And this woman, for 12 years, had suffered great need. Jairus' need was public. This woman's need was private. But even though these kind of things divided them, there was one thing that united their stories, and that their sorrow and their grief and their suffering. They came together with those things on their hearts. And that's how they're brought together to the feet of Jesus where they would find his power revealed in a way that would change their lives forever. That would alter their story. That would be a big part of the story of their lives. They would find love and help and hope in their hopeless situation. Now what is clear from these two stories is that it doesn't matter how much money you have or how poor you are. The Bible is clear that everyone experiences suffering. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Job chapter 5, verse 7 says, the sparks fly upward so man is born for adversity. See, we find in our life story, we all are destined to experience some sort of sorrow, some grief, some pain, because we live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world that is under the curse of sin. And one day Jesus will come and he'll reverse that curse and make all things right. But until then, even as God's children, 
we're going to experience sorrow and suffering and difficulty and adversity. But we learn that Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet every need that we have. I am so thankful that I can stand before you this morning and testify not only from the authority of of Scripture, but from my own life that Jesus Christ has been sufficient in my life story to meet every need that I've ever had. Every storm that I've had to weather in my life, Jesus Christ has been there for me to help me, to give me the strength, to be my guide, to be my, my comfort. And I know that He can do the same thing for you today. If you reach out and touch Him, He'll touch you. If you'll come to Him in your hour of need, Jesus Christ can meet that need because He's sufficient to meet all the demands that we face in our lives. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us, no matter what we're facing. Even in times that we feel alone, He's still there. Now, I pointed out in the past that, that Matthew's gospel is the gospel of the king. And in the first four chapters, Jesus' person was revealed to us. His genealogy, where he came from. He is the king of kings. Then in chapters 5 through 7, his principles were recorded for us on the Sermon on the Mount. And now in chapters 8 through 10, his power is revealed. And we've been seeing that, healing all sorts of diseases, healing people, uh, forgiving them of sin. But now we come to these verses today and we see the power of Jesus to not only heal, but to raise from the dead. So if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things this morning. Number one, we're going to see his power revealed in through Jesus and Jairus. Number one, Jesus and the woman, number two, and Jesus and Jairus' daughter, number three. Number one, Jesus and Jairus. Look at verse 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, Mark's version of the story has a little more detail. Take a look at it on the screen. It says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, Jairus, rather, as a Jewish ruler of the synagogue, meant that that you were a man of great importance. Not only were you in charge of the the synagogue itself, but you were also uh, in charge of settling civic disputes that went on in the neighborhood that you were at. Synagogue rulers were the wealthiest in their communities and the most influential in their society, and Jairus was just this sort of man. Now, at the time, a lot of the Jews had rejected Jesus Christ already, and so for this man who had the responsibility of overseeing the synagogue would have to, would really come under a lot of fire you know, from the scribes and the Pharisees by leaving them and going to, to find Jesus. But that didn't matter to him. Mark tells us here that he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him earnestly. I mean, born out of this great sense of need, this man comes humbly to Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew just says that Jairus is, or the Jairus saying, my daughter is dead, because he combines the news that he's going to receive later on with his first petition to come and heal my daughter. So Matthew says she's, she's dead, come heal her. But we know from Mark and from Luke that when Jairus first came to Jesus, his daughter was, was still just only sick. He had not died yet. And as far as Jairus was concerned, when he left the house, there was still hope. And so he does this thing that's radical, leaving the synagogue, coming to find Jesus. But he was desperate, desperate to save his daughter's life. Now, if you're a parent, you know how difficult it is to see your children suffer, to see them perhaps get sick with a fever or the flu or some disease, and you wish in some way you can take that suffering from them and and relieve them and help them, but, but you realize you can't do that. 
Well, now put yourself in the place of this father. This, this daughter of, of, of his, she's probably 12 years old, the, the, the scripture says. She, she, she's filled the home with joy and laughter, that, you know, a smile that only kids can bring in the house, and, and just singing as she plays. But then, whatever it is, this tragedy strikes. And she's at the point of death. And this father comes to Jesus, probably with tears streaming down his face out of total desperation. And he comes to Christ. You know, I don't know what it takes to bring some people to Jesus Christ. But I do know that sometimes God will allow suffering and sorrow to humble ourselves, to break us, to bring us to our knees. Job 36.15 says, By means of their suffering, He rescues those who suffer, for He gets their attention through adversity. Gets their attention through adversity. See, I would hate the, the, the thought that my children would have to suffer to wake me up for my need in Jesus Christ. But worse than that is those that suffer some tragedy and, and, uh, and, and something with their kids, and instead of turning to Christ, they turn away from Him. That's really amazing to me to think about, how someone can see their children suffer and not be broken before God, not cry out to God. Because suffering and, and, and sorrow can either drive us to our knees at the feet of Jesus or it will harden our hearts and turn us away from the Lord. But thankfully, this man went to the right place at the right time to the right person in his greatest time of need. He came to Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and if you've not come to Jesus, know that this is the right time. You're in the right place. You've talked to the right person in your greatest hour of need. You need to come to Jesus Christ today and commit yourself to him today. Jairus says to Jesus in verse 18, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Now, we know that, that at this point, they do. and the, the, the crowd of people are surrounding them. And Jesus and, and Jairus are on their way to Jairus' house. And, and I'm sure for Jairus, it's not a minute too soon. I'm sure he's going, let's get there quick. Let's get there quick. You know, uh, you know maybe he's thinking some kind of failure for not getting to Jesus more quickly, wanting to get there rapidly. Verse 19 says, so Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And again, Mark adds, the great multitude followed him and thronged him. That, that word throng there means to be pressed together from all sides. So this crowd of people, they're all moving towards this man's house in the direction of, of his home. But then we also read that suddenly this woman shows up and stops the whole procession. Now how easily this would have been for Jairus to go, excuse me, no cuts, I was here first. Okay, It's like those signs, and maybe you experience this, it, it says left lane closed ahead. So you move to the right lane. Now, there's a little bit of line there, but then you see the guy that's in the left lane, and he's going all the way to the front of the line. And you're going, no, no, don't you dare let him in. He needs to wait by the Don't, 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 don't. Ah, oh, you let him in. Frustrates me, but, you know, it's my own sin. But anyway. But imagine if you were Jairus. Excuse me, I have an emergency, ma'am. I don't know what your problem is, but no cuts. But you know what? I think this was a test in Jairus' life. How would he fare? I mean, he was in a hurry. He wanted to get Jesus to his daughter. Maybe Jairus heard how amazing Jesus was, how he had time for the underdogs of this world, how he called Matthew to be one of his followers, a tax collector, which, you know, no one liked tax collectors back then. How Jesus touched his demon-possessed man and so forth. And he thought, no. This is just the way Jesus is. If Jesus wants to stop and talk to this woman, then I'm not going to cause any trouble. I'm just going to wait. I know that he knows what he's doing. 
See, if this was a test, I think that Jairus passed it with flying colors. He didn't say a word. We don't read he said a word. He just followed Jesus and waited patiently. Now, sometimes, you know, we are being tested and we don't even know it. God doesn't tell us, you know, that we're being tested. I think of it, you know, when I was back in school many years ago, some of, some of you maybe still are, but the teacher would get up in front of the class and say, today we're going to have a pop quiz. And all the nerds would go, yeah. And all the kids like me would go, no, because we didn't read ahead. No. I don't mean to mock nerds because we don't call them nerds anymore. We call them boss, supervisors. But uh, <laughs> they probably run the company you're working for right now. But, but this was a test for Jairus. And he did while well. he waited on the Lord. He trusted God, knew what he was doing. Can we do the same? Wait on the Lord. You know, some people, they don't like to wait on the Lord. Hey, Lord, what's going on? Are, are you paying attention? You know what's going on in my life right now? Are you, are you going to provide for me a husband? Are you going to provide for me a wife? Hey, Lord, when are you going to open up this door for ministry for me? Lord, how long are you going to let this person get away with their sin? Or how about this one? Lord, uh, how long is it going to be until you come back to this earth? Haven't you noticed how, how horrible it is down here? How long, Lord? But God has His perfect timing. And know that whatever God delays, it's for our own good and for His glory. Have you ever had a, a pressing need and you prayed and it seems like God didn't come through on time? He didn't answer when you thought that He, he should have answered? Listen, God is not in a hurry. And that quite often causes us frustration, doesn't it? We say, Lord, but I needed this healing yesterday or I needed that job, that money last month or Lord, why did you do it this way? I mean, think about what we're saying. We're saying, God, you actually blew it. The creator of the entire universe, you flubbed this one. We needed the money yesterday and you didn't come through yet. You blew it. Write this down in history. God blew it. Doesn't happen, folks. God is always on time and God's ways are always perfect. His timing is perfect. And I'm sure that this was a real test of faith for Darius, but, but, but he would be tested even further as we go along. But we'll get to that in a moment. This brings us to our, our second encounter, Jesus and the woman. Look at verse 20. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. Now, let's look at her for a moment. We don't know exactly what type of ailment she had, but it was some type of hemorrhaging. And it caused her to have this continual bleeding for 12 painful years, that brought about really a stigma and humiliation to such a thing that's really only second to leprosy because she would too have been considered unclean, just like someone with leprosy. She would have been banished from the life of the synagogue, which was the social and the spiritual life of the community. So here she is, separated. She's suffering. She's desperate because in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, it tells us that this woman spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Now, Luke, being a doctor, you know, he, he kind of gives the doctors, you know, a, a pass. He says, you know, the, the, he, she went to the doctors, but the doctors couldn't do anything for her. Now, Mark, he's not so easy on the Mark wrote uh, that this woman had suffered many things from many physicians. Now, you have to understand the doctors in the first century, nothing like we have today. They weren't very sophisticated at all in what they did. For instance, most of their so-called medicine was questionable at best. Listen to this. According to the Talmud, one of the so-called remedies of the day is if you had an issue with, like this woman had, you were told to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer and a cotton bag in the winter, and you would be healed. That's what it said. 
Another superstitious remedy was this. Listen to this. If you carried around a barley corn kernel that had been found in the dung of a white female donkey, you will get better. So you're digging around in the white donkey dung so you can get better from this illness. Okay, I suffered many by the hands of the physicians at that time. This woman was not getting better. But you know what? This is also a picture about what a sinner is like. Someone diseased with their trespasses and sins. Sickness in the Bible is often described as, uh, as, you know, often a picture of a person who's separated from God by sin. And many times we look to different places for help, for deliverance, to, to have our needs met instead of looking to Jesus Christ. And we, we go to these different places to fill this emptiness that, that's inside. With sin being a picture of this woman's illness, someone has given names to the doctors that she might have turned to before she turned to Jesus Christ, the great physician. She may have turned to Dr. Pleasure. Well, she had this emptiness inside, but, but, but Dr. Pleasure couldn't meet her need. But, you know, many people think that today. Well, if I just have a good time, if I just, you know, live it up and enjoy life, when things would really be great. This emptiness in my heart would be gone. I'm just going to need to try to be happy. It doesn't work that way. Happiness can't be found by looking for it. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Well, they say she went to Dr. Money, but Dr. Money couldn't help her. They tried, she tried Dr. Materialism, and those things couldn't help. She tried Dr. Religion. But religion couldn't help her. Instead of going better, she only grew worse. Maybe you're here this morning, you've said the same thing. I've tried these things too and I really only feel worse. I haven't found what I'm looking for. There's this emptiness inside. Well, you haven't looked to the right place. You need to look to Jesus Christ, the great physician. He's sufficient. He's the only one we need in our, in our hours of greatest need because He's the only one that can make a difference. I mean, if, if your little daughter is sick, come to Jesus. If your body is sick, come to Jesus. If your marriage needs help, come to Jesus. He's there. You know, we're so quick to turn into psychologists and, and psychiatrists and counselors and these other things to try and find help. How about turning to Jesus first? How about turning to, to His Word and doing what He prescribes? You know, it's funny when we're sick and we don't know what we have, you know, where do we turn usually first? The Internet. Not a good thing. Not a good place. It can be dangerous. You go from having a common cold to, you know, just hours to live. Why not when we go through times of difficulty and trials, instead of turning to the Internet or counselors or, or psychiatrists, turn to God's Word first. See what God's Word says on the subject. Believe God what it says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's a faith that we need, and God's Word is the place to find it. And when you do, by the way, let Jesus convict you. Let Jesus show you what, what you need to do. The work in your life. Don't go, okay, Lord, I'm going to look for your word. I need to find out how you need to deal with my wife. Okay, you need to look for things to tell her. You know, you know so many times in marriage counseling, you know, it, well, it's 99% his fault. You know, you need to talk to him. Well, it's her fault. You need to talk to her. She needs to change. Quit looking at the other person. It's true, you have no control over that person, but you certainly can repent. You can certainly uh, let God change your heart and let Him change your, change your attitude. And so here we have this woman comes and, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, she, she's there. And, and, and we know from another part of the, the gospel, it says that, that uh, uh, Jesus stopped and says, Who touched me? Now, obviously, Jesus knew who touched me. He was looking for a public confession here. Now, I've always saw a bit of humor here in the stories. Jesus is being bumped around and he's trying to make his way through the crowd and people running to him and bumping him all the way. And he turns and he says, you know, who touched my clothes? 
I mean, I love Jesus' response in verse 46 of Luke's gospel. Jesus says, somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. You know, and, and, and you know, and, and you see, you see, all of a sudden the crowd parts it, and here's Jesus, you know, and here's this woman. And this woman says, ah, it was me. And the woman says, and, and Jesus says, you're healed, your faith was released, you received a healing from the Lord. And in verse 47 of Luke's gospel, it says, falling down before him, she declared to him the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him. In other words, she gave Jesus her story. She let him know what was going on in her life. It had probably been a long time since someone had listened to her story. They probably saw her, hey, hey, I don't want to hear your story. Get away from me. You're unclean. Jesus says, hey, tell me your story. What's going on in your life? I'm all ears. You know, have you ever talked to someone and, and realized they're not paying attention? Uh, you know, you, let me ask, put, put it in a different way. Have you ever had a conversation with a teenager while they're holding their phone? You know, or they're, they're texting, you know, and you're trying to talk to them. And yeah, 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 yeah. And you're talking and, and you go... Then they get a text, you know, and, it's, and, and, and no way, you know. And they, they, you, you know they, they make you think that they're talking to you, but they haven't heard a word that they just said. Jesus here, he, he's alert. He's ready to listen to this woman. Tell me your story. Listen, Jesus wants to hear our story. He wants us to pour our hearts to him, and he's there to listen. Now know this, she also came expecting to receive from Jesus. I wonder how many people come to, come to church and and uh, just because it's the thing to do. You know, I just I need to come to church. I work Monday through Friday. I go to church on Sunday. But do you come really expecting to receive from the Lord? Expecting to hear from the Lord. You see, when you reach out in faith and touch Jesus, Jesus touches you. When you come to the church and say, I want to meet you, Jesus. I have a great need. I want you to touch my life. Jesus says, I will. Verse 22 says, and the woman was made well from that hour. This brings us to point number three, Jesus and Jairus' daughter. Look at verse 23. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. Now, what's going on here? Well, this means that there's a funeral going on. Now, you have to understand that the funerals of ancient days were far different than the funerals of our time. We have funerals and there's this soothing music that's being played and there's flowers everywhere and it's, you can smell the flowers and, and people are talking softly and you come in and you might have to, the opportunity to, to view the deceased person. But in biblical times, it was more radical. In fact, the family would all gather at the house and people would mourn and wail and scream and there would be these musicians there and they would be playing wildly on their instruments. And I know this sounds strange, but as the absolute truth, they had hired mourners in that day. They would hire people to not only play instruments, but to, to mourn and to well for you. Professional mourners. You look them online, mourners.com. You know, their, their website would say, if dying your game, then mourning's our name. Click here for mourners in your area or something like that. Even in a poor family, you know, they would hire two minstrels and two flip fruit players and, and, and at least one screamer. So their job was to scream and lament over the death of your loved one. And obviously the wealthy you were, the more you would have. And Jairus, he was a wealthy man, so he probably had a lot of people there, 50, maybe 100. Now obviously Jairus' daughter is dead. Could you imagine how Jairus felt? Just the expression right there on his face right then and there. Jesus, why did you stop? Why did you talk to this woman? Why didn't we keep moving? Lord, she's dead. All hope is gone. At one point, she was alive and she was breathing. They thought where, where there's life, there's still hope. And now at this point, where there's death, they say, you don't, you don't need to trouble Jesus anymore, is what they said. 
Could you imagine being poor Jairus? No doubt he thought she died without me being there. My only daughter. And I wasn't there. You know, a lot of people are haunted for, by that for times of their whole life. And I wasn't there when she breathed her last. Man, I can't imagine, nor do I, I want to, to what is happening in the life of this man right now. And the hurt and the sorrow that he felt. But this is what's so great. Even, even in death, there's great hope in Jesus. Yes, Jairus' heart was probably broken. All hope seemed to be gone. But, but man's extremity is God's opportunity. God would get the greater glory. In Luke's Gospel, chapter uh, 5, verse 36, it says that as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. In the Greek, it's do not be afraid any longer, only keep on believing. See, Jesus' words to Jairus tell us that our fears need to be met by faith. Faith is the answer to fear. Believing that God knows what he's doing, there's always, there's always the answer to fear. Only believe. Believe in the work I've done and will continue to do. Satan likes to come like these messengers and say, Oh, it's too late. There's no hope. Don't even go to the Lord. Things will never change. That loved one will never get saved. That, that area you're stepping out in, that's never going to work. Jesus stretches out his hands and gently says to us, like he did to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe. And Jairus must rest in those words. That's all he has. But see, that's all he had in the first place. But let me tell you, the promises of God are sure. And things may not look good. Things may not seem good. You may not feel that great. But you know what? You can rest in his words. Don't be afraid. Just believe. The tenses are quite interesting here. Again, it's, it's stop fearing and keep believing. I mean, that's good stuff. That's mountable. And put that on, on your fridge. Put that over your fireplace. Post it on your front door. Stop fearing. Keep believing. Now think about it. That's really where, where I'd like to keep that. On my refrigerator, on my, on my, over my front door, I don't want to experience that in my heart. I'd rather keep the sign there. Lord, I know what that means. I even understand the tent that it's written. And I just don't want to have to live that. I don't want that to be a part of my story. But unfortunately, our faith will never grow if we don't go through hard times like that. And every one of us, no matter where we are in our walks with the Lord, will have to put Jesus' words to use in our own lives. And maybe you have already. If you haven't, you will. We all go through it. Stop fearing. Keep believing. I've said this many times. Faith and fear are mutually exclusive. If you have one, you don't have the other. If you're afraid, then you don't have to believe. If you believe, then you're not afraid. I love the story of Corrie ten Boom, her family that helped many Jews escape during the Nazi Holocaust of World War II. When their home was raided after an informant tipped off the Nazis of their activity, the, the entire family was put into prison. Corrie and her sister were sent to a notorious Nazi concentration camp. She was miraculously released from prison just days after her sister had died there. God had, had brought this incredible beauty and healing through her difficult experiences, and her words still have great relevance to us today. Uh, she said this, she said, Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Someone expanded on her words and said it this way, The man or the woman of faith is the one who sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, believes the incredible, and is so able to do the impossible. Jesus tells Jairus, trust me. I've come with you this far. You've done well. Your faith has been strong. You waited while I touched that woman. You didn't give up. 
You didn't criticize me. You didn't try to stop her. You've been up with me to this point, and I will take care of it. Just keep believing. Hold on. You're going to make it. Look what happens next in verse 24. He said to them, Make room for the girl who's not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They're laughing at him. Boy, their professionalism just went out the window because they go from weeping and welling to, to laughing. These professional mourners, but there's no heart behind it. They did it for a living. They're not real mourners. They're just, just pros. And I, I love that Jesus puts them out in verse 25. But when the crowd was put outside, Mark's gospel says Jesus put them outside. You know, when the Bible says that Jesus put them outside, I want to know how he did it. In, in my mind, was it a Star Wars thing? And they just all went outside, you know. They're going, hey, how do we get out here, you know? Was it just a word, just the, the, the authority behind it? Get out, you know. I'd love to see it. But I understand this. I, I mean, this, this is huge. I mean, Jesus knew that this girl was just sleeping. Now, the New Testament speaks of believers who have died as sleeping because they're going to get up again. You know, you go to bed at night, you fall asleep, you get up in the morning. Jesus knew this 12-year-old little girl was going to get up again. In fact, because she's going to be raised, she's going to be a part of the few that's going to have to get up twice. I mean, let me tell you, Jesus didn't raise many people from the dead because he knew where he was raising them from. You know, I mean, this little girl was in the bosom of Abraham, a place called Paradise. You know, God's presence, you know, where the Bible says, are pleasures forevermore. Unspeakable what she's seeing and what she was beholding. And the Lord calls her back from that place to her body. Look at verse 25. It says, But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the little girl arose. Now again, I like more information. Luke chapter 5, verse 41 says this, Then Jesus took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. You know, when Jesus says, little girl, I say to you, arise, he, he's saying, little lamb. You know, that, that's a word being used. It's like little girl, but, but it really refers to saying little lamb. It, here's God, Jehovah, the one who laid out the universe with a word, holds the universe in the palm of his hand. He takes this little girl's cold, dead hand and says, little lamb. Or, or, or it would be like I say, sweetie, honey. He stoops over, you know, the, the parents are standing there, and he says, sweetheart, come, come on back, get up, honey. Could you imagine the joy and the emotions that must have flooded the, the parents at that point? I mean, this little girl gets up, and, and Jesus says, you know, feed her, give her something to eat. And, you know, maybe the little girl says, Mommy, I'm hungry. And, you know, that was probably the most joyous meal that that mom ever prepared for her kid. You know, when your kid's sick and they don't want to eat anything and, and oh, try and eat something, but then now your appetite's back. Here, eat this and eat this. You want a bowl of cereal and ice cream and here you go. Whatever you want here, it's all yours. Just overjoyed. I mean, the mom, just to see what Jesus has done for her. I tell you, there's no one I'd rather have touch my children than Jesus. He's the one that I want to touch my kids. Touch them, Lord. Give them life. Give her wholeness. Make them well. And I'm so glad as a parent that I can commit my kids to the Lord. That I can pray over them every day and every night and I can ask the Lord to work in their hearts and protect them and guide them and lead them and know that Jesus is watching over them, over my children. What joy must have filled their hearts as they were reunited. Now, 
why did Jesus bring this little girl back? Certainly wasn't for the little girl's sake. I mean, she was in a place of perfect peace and comfort and, and to come back into this world of pain and suffering and heartache and have to wait for another day for the Lord to call her home once again. No doubt saying, oh, Lord, this time around, please let me stay here. You know, I think Lazarus the same thing. You know, okay, not a second time, Lord, I want to stay. But see, I believe that, that Jesus raised his girl back to life for Jairus and his wife and us to show us that, that separation does, doesn't mean separation from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. They had said, Don't trouble the teacher any longer. Don't bother the teacher. She's already dead. Oh, he's so much more than just a teacher. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. He is so much more than a good teacher. So what do we learn from this story? Number one, if you have a need, reach out to Jesus. If that woman, or for that matter, if Jairus had not sought Jesus, their problems would have remained. Now, a lot of times the problems that we are facing are still there because we simply haven't called out to God for help. So here's my question. Have you prayed about your problem? I mean, maybe you're ill this morning and you've come here with some medical problem. Maybe the doctors aren't giving you any answers. Maybe you've seen a lot of them and, 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 and you know, you've given up hope. That's it, you know. Have you thought about praying about it? Seeking the Lord? Because guess what? God is still in the miracle business and He could still... Heal people. I was talking to, to, to Gabe Gamel after first service, and he just saw in the news a, a man with brain cancer in California was just completely healed of cancer. Blown away. They, they can't find any trace of it. Do you have a financial crisis right now you're facing? And you've tried every outlet you know, and you've called every person you know. Have you talked to God about it? I said, Lord, would you help? Would you do something in, in a miraculous way? Is there a big decision you need wisdom on? Have you asked the Lord about it? Have you prayed about it? Here's what the Bible says. You have not because you ask not. So what I'm saying is that whatever you're facing this morning, call out to Jesus. It's not too small. It's not too big. And guess what? Jesus is a good listener. He wants to hear your story. He wants to know what's going on. He pays attention to you. Now, he may give you what you ask for. He may not give you what you ask for. But then again, he may give you abundantly above and beyond what you ask for. But you never know unless you ask. Jeremiah 33, 3, call on me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't even know. What else can we take away from the story? Number two, we all have a story. And your story is not finished yet. I know this. God finishes what he begins. Started out badly for Jairus and it got even worse. But what was the worst day of his life turned out to be the best. Same thing for this woman. Her story seemed to be coming to, to a close, but Jesus intervened and gave her a happy ending. Finally, number three, if we trust in Jesus, all our stories will have happy endings. You might say, what world are you living in, Pastor Tom? Are you in the Hallmark Christmas movie world or what? Listen, in Christ there is, because your story is not over in this life. The happy ending is going to come ultimately later in eternity, in the presence of God in heaven, where every follower of Jesus Christ will have a happy ending. Finally, as we close, 
There are no happy endings for non-believers. This is as really as good as it gets for the non-Christian. So if you're non-Christian here this morning, I hope your life is, is, is everything you hope for because it's only going to get worse later. But if you're a Christian here this morning, this is as bad as it's going to get, okay? So if you're going through hardships, listen, this is as bad as it's going to get. The best is yet to come. But one thing that Jairus knew is that he was in a race against time. He knew death was drawing close. And you know what? I think it's good that we recognize our own mortality as well. That we recognize that there's going to come a time in our lives where it's going to come to an end. And most of us will live a long life. Some of us will not. That's up to God. But what we do is to live in such a way that when our day is done, and our time is up, that we are ready to meet the Lord God. So let me ask as we close, if your life were to come to an end today, would you go to heaven? Because according to the Bible, there's only two destinations that we go when we leave this world. Either we go into God's presence in heaven where there's fullness of joy for all eternity and never, never separated from Him again, or we go to this place called hell. A miserable place. So it's really our decision. Now, if you want to go to heaven, it's simple. Just repent of your sin. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, I, I don't want to be in control of my life anymore. I want you to take control of my life. And come to Him, and He will. Surrender your heart and life to Him, and you can be born again this morning. And you can have that assurance that your ending, you'll have a happy ending. A better than Hallmark movie ending, let me tell you. If you don't know the Lord, as soon as service is over, let me just pray and give you that opportunity to know the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. Because You show us through Your Word the power that You give, even to this day, to change lives, Lord. Hopeless situations. Parents where they're, where they're so worried about their children, they're, they're, the problems that they face, and we can come to you with the needs of our kids. Physical ailments. We can come to you with, with the physical needs that are going on, and, and you are there, and you listen to our story. And you're ready to move, and you, you have the right thing for us. But Lord, more than anything, the right thing for our lives is to have a right relationship with you. To have our sin forgiven, to be born again. And I pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, that they would do so this morning, that they would see their need to have a touch from you, Lord, to be forgiven of their sin, to be born again today. Lord, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again today? You want your sin forgiven? You want to know if you were to die today that you'd have a happy ending, you'd go to be with the Lord Jesus. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ, raise it up so I can pray for you today. God loves you so much, cares for you, has a plan and a purpose for your life. Anybody at all? Father, we thank you for this time this morning. And again, Lord, we come before you. And Lord, if there is a need, Whatever it is, we want to bring it at your feet. Know that you care and you love us and you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So stand.